And so uh, I have the microphone, and I'm still holding it. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. Uh, so we just want to make sure that you have the opportunity. We don't have members here. We have owners. We, we feel like members have um, rights. Owners have responsibilities. And so uh, if, you're a, if you're a member of a gym and the treadmill breaks, you simply go to the front desk and tell them the, the treadmill is broken. But if you own your house and the air conditioner breaks, that's on you. And so we, we tend to phrase it more of ownership rather than just membership uh, because we do believe there's responsibility. So if you ever wanted to find out more about who we are, what we believe, as a denomination, for those of you who don't know, we are affiliated with the Nazarene Church. And so if you're ever curious about that, it's a great thing to come to. You don't have to leave being a member. You, you can leave in the same status that you arrived in. Um, that's totally up to you. So I just want to, April 4th, we'll have two classes. You can sign up for those at connectednaz.com. Um, also, with baptism, we're going to do a baptism on April 26th. So if you have not been baptized and you're curious about that, Listen today, because we're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, so we're excited about all these things that are coming up. Go order your shirts, and just go to the website. There's so much going on right now that um, I can't possibly tell you about, because you'll get mad and leave. It'll take too long. I'm just going to stop the recording here. <laughs> okay. Um, so how many of you have ever taken a personality test? Anybody fail? Like, it just comes back, you have no personality. <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> I see that hand, Mike, and, and I also affirm the results. Um, it, it's a big deal, right? These, these personality tests that are that either Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or, or uh, the, the real popular one right now in the Christian world is the Enneagram, um, and, and I love them. I, I love them and I hate them. I, I hate being told who I am by a test that I take, and then all of a sudden I get this it, depending on what it is, there's one, I can't remember what it was called, but you get like assigned an animal, um, like a golden retriever or an otter. And it was like, that's your personality. And they go in. And then the Myers-Briggs, they give you four letters that, that identify you and pigeonhole you to what you are. The Enneagram is based on a nine number system. And so you take this test and they give you a number. But do you know what the most frustrating thing about those personality tests is? How right they are sometimes. And I don't like to read about my flaws. And I don't like the fact that I feel like people are worried about Alexa and Google listening in on you. I think it's deeper than that because these people that make these tests, I'm pretty sure I have a microphone in my house. Because I'll read it sometimes and I'll just be like, that is way too close for you to know. Like that, that matches me way too close. So the Enneagram, I'm a nine, which they, they say that, that that's the peacemaker and that my strengths are being able to uh, be a mediator between parties that are in dispute. What was that? That was the weirdest amen I've ever heard in my life. What? <laughs> Come on, son. Uh, and so, but my weakness is, Richard Rohr is a, is a Catholic priest who spent a lot of time investigating the Enneagram and getting to know it. And he says that the thing with nines is that they start slow and they taper off from there. I sometimes don't like to be reminded of the fact that I start slow and taper off from there. But it's pretty true. And we tend to buy into these things. Some of these tests, I mean, the Enneagram test, if you want to take a really good one, costs 10 bucks. Myers-Briggs will cost you money. Strength Finders cost you money. They, we, we spend money. It's actually a multi-million dollar industry, this identity thing. And, and we strive so hard to figure out who we are. And we'll take these tests and we'll invest in them. But the bottom line is, I don't believe anyone is self-aware enough to really take one of those tests. 
Because sometimes the question is like, would you rather help an old lady across the street or shove her down and steal her groceries? And most of us are going to go help her across the street. What I know very well, some of you would rather steal her groceries. But you're never going to do that because you don't want that result. You know, sometimes they're more subtle than that. But it, it's, it, it's this thing that we, we think that we are actually self-aware enough to honestly answer a question without first predicting the outcome that we want. And I, I don't think we are. I think the bottom line is that most of us want to be someone that's better than who we are. It's probably one of the reasons why you're here. It's because on some level, you know there's something more, and you can be something better. But we don't just say better, we say more Christ-like, to, to, to look and represent more like Jesus and operate in that way. But this identity thing, we strive for it, we need it, we need to know who we are. I think the season of Lent is the perfect time to stop and remind ourselves where our identity comes from and what it is that we are here doing. I almost put this back here, but I'm not going to. I'll never find it again. So during Lent, one of the things that we do is we take the time to search out who we are, what it is that we need, what it is that we do. Do you remember the phrase WWJD, the bracelets, the stickers, what would Jesus do? I think that during this Lent and this identity-seeking time, I think we should be more like, what, what did Jesus believe? What, what did he do? Yes, but, but what did that, where'd that come from? I share with you all the time, my favorite Greek word in the entire world is splakna. One, because it's fun to say. But two, it's because it refers to the compassion that comes from the deep parts of your loins. Like, so when, when, when the Bible says that Jesus acted on compassion or with compassion, the word splakna means that it was so part of him that he could not resist it. So when he fed the 5,000, the compassion that's talked about there is this splachna that comes up that Jesus couldn't help but provide. And it's just this thing that moves him. It's his identity. And the identity started on that very first time that he makes a public appearance when he's walking out over the hills into the Jordan River and John the Baptist sees him. And John the Baptist realizes that I'm about to baptize my cousin who's the Messiah. And so Jesus walks down, and we have this amazing thing, this, this, this illustration of what baptism looks like and why we even do it. So he comes down out of the hills, he gets in line, and John says, whoa, uh, not even worthy to tie your sandals, let alone baptize you. And Jesus says, no, 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 this has to be done. This has to be done. And John goes, all right, I'll hold you underwater. That's what you want done. And so he's baptized, he comes out, and we have this amazing picture of what it looks like. Because you all know that the word Trinity is nowhere in Scripture. Like, we, we, we talk about the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the word Trinity. But we somehow come up with this fundamental doctrine that is, that, that is huge for most Christian churches that we say this thing, Trinity. And this is one of the cases where we point to it, because we have Jesus, who is the Son, and we have the Father who speaks and says, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. And then out of that comes a dove that flies down and descends on Jesus that is understood as the Holy Spirit. So we have, we have all three parts of the Godhead being represented here. And here's why this is so important. Because we get to unify in this baptism. 
This baptism locks in our identity just so that our baptism now locks in our identity and unifies us with what Jesus did at that time. So we're going we're gonna to actually be in Romans today. This, the scripture is Paul writing to a church, talking about what it looks like and why we do the things we do and why we operate the way we do. Ha! <laughs> Good job. Is that you, Serenity, back there? Thank you. Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live life, live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That, that verse right there, by the way, a fundamental belief to almost all Wesleyan traditions, which we are, that we can do away with sin, that, 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 that because of baptism, we now have the ability to choose. We are no longer slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we, now, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall, not, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. It's a very important message for the people in Rome to hear because they're, they're being persecuted, they're being killed for their beliefs. They have to understand why they do what they do. For us, as removed Christians, that, that the most that we're going to face on a regular basis, if we come out and wear our Connected NAS t-shirts to work or whatever, people might tease us for being Christ followers and tell us that it's religion just a crutch. And, and, and it's not really going to end the way that it did for the people in Rome, that when they declared something like Jesus Christ is Lord, they were actually executed because at that time Caesar was Lord. And if you said anything other than that, then you were an enemy to the state. And it was actually a major rebellion. Which isn't too far from now, when we declare that Jesus is Lord, it is an act of rebellion. It is this idea that we are going to stand apart and be something different. And the way we do this is we identify with the baptism of Jesus. We identify first with the fact that we are identifying with the death of Christ. When we used to have our old baptism, our baptismal, we still have it, um, but it, we, we, we've upgraded now. Our baptismal is heated because it's just better. Um, we used to have it, it was, the water was cold. I mean, it was really cold. And, and you'd step in sometimes, and it would be very, very cold. And uh, I remember when Coop's daughter Molly was baptized. She got into the water. And, no, I think it was Jesse, actually. And, and we baptized her. 
And she stood back up, and, and her dad said, how was that? Was it freezing? She goes, yeah, but dad, isn't death supposed to be cold? I don't know. I've not died. But I imagine that when, when the life leaves, so she identified this cold water. So the two of you that have been baptized in the warm water here, you just aren't as holy. Um, and from now on, if, if you want to have a real baptism, we can fill up the horse trough again if you really want to get close to Jesus and identify with his death. Or you can have the warm water, whatever. Um, it's up to you. I would rather have the hot tub because I have to get in it too, so I'm just saying. We, we have this, this identifying with the, with the death of Christ. As we go unto water, we go unto the water, and as we're pulled back up in the water, we symbolize with the burial of Christ. As we come back up, though, this is where it gets good. We identify with the resurrection that death is not the end. Now, some of you, you've been baptized, and, and if you've been baptized here and I held you underwater for a long time, that was for your own good. Some of you need a little more than others. And, and so I'm going to hold you under until you really see Jesus, and then I'll bring you back up. But there's, there's this, this amazing thing that happens, and I love, I love baptism services. And, and sometimes it can feel very contrite, and it can feel very forced and very, very odd. But there's nothing better than when you bring someone back up out of death and the applause that takes place. And this idea that this community has surrounded you. This idea that, that everyone that is here, that you are now united in baptism with. And you become one. It's, it's just this great feeling of, it's, it's really a joyous thing. I don't think, I'm trying to decide right now on the spot whether I like to do weddings more or baptisms more. I don't think so. They pay better. But I love, I love the idea that we stand up and make this public confession. Now, the thing about baptism is it's not a salvation issue. I, I believe that you can go to heaven and never be baptized. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe that there was a man on a cross next to Jesus that said to Jesus, when you, when you get to heaven, please remember me. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, today you will live with me in paradise. That man never got to be baptized. And Jesus assures him that that's not going to keep him out of heaven. What I do believe about baptism, though, is that, one, it unites us to this decision that Jesus made. It unites us as one body. And two, it is the public confession that Peter talks about on Pentecost, that we confess with our mouths and that we are baptized. It is the first act of obedience that we can do as followers. We, we accept Jesus. We let that internal change happen, and this is the next step. The next step is now we are baptized because we are making a public confession of the thing that we just entered into because we are identifying with the death of Christ and we are identifying with the resurrection of Christ as we come back up out of those waters. It's kind of amazing that we don't believe that death is the final word because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of religions that believe death is the final word. There are, there are religions that will talk about Jesus that believe that after life is just gone, nothing. And there's something about having the opportunity to spend time with people as they're about to pass. And I will tell you that when you were sitting beside a bed of someone or having the last conversation with someone, and they believe that death is not the final word, 
this is going to sound really weird, but they die better. It's, it's almost as if, it's almost as if, as if they believe what we preach, that resurrection has the final word and not death. And so as we're baptized, we're making this declaration that death does not have the final word, but resurrection has the final word. And as we come up out of that water, we are declaring to everyone that we are united in the resurrection of Jesus, which means that we do not have to taste the sting of death. We get to die here, but it becomes just that. We get to die here. We, we get to. Because we believe that in all things, more than anything, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. It, it, it really is something that is fundamental to who we are, but yet we don't ever really think of it in that way. But what Paul is saying to the church in Rome right now is that you are united in this resurrection. You get to take part in this resurrection. You don't have to wait until the day that you die to be resurrected because we are resurrection people that bring resurrection to our world every single day. And so as you become this resurrected person, your mission and job and your identity is now in Christ to bring resurrection to Carson City. Do, do you realize that? That you have been commissioned as an ambassador to bring resurrection here? Now, what, what that looks like is that when you go, you speak these words of hope because resurrection is based in hope. We become people of hope. We, 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 we tell people that, yes, your past is dirty, yucky, and messy, but we are resurrection people, and we believe that when you are resurrected, the old is gone, the new has come, and everything is now different. And we get to go into the lives of people that are hurting and that are dismantled and disenfranchised and, and outcast, and we get to tell them, yes, but we are resurrection people that are offering you a message of resurrection. This does not have to be the end. We say this all the time. That I, Look, if you ever go out on a Saturday night and you tie one on hard and you wake up in the morning and say, I can't go to church because I still kind of, please come. We are a resurrection people that believe in resurrection. That means no matter how messy your life is, it can be restored. This is, this is the journey of Lent. Sometimes we get focused on the negative sides of Lent, the, the giving up and the fasting and, and the depriving of ourselves. Yes, but we don't do it just for that. We do it so we can remind ourselves that we are resurrection people and that we all need this resurrection. And so when we are baptized, when we go, we are making a declaration that this is my identity. I, I no longer am a nine. I'm no longer an IF. J.B., or whatever Myers-Briggs says. I'm no longer a golden retriever. That's not my identity anymore. My identity, first and foremost, needs to be, as a follower of Jesus, a resurrection hope person. And so when I go out into the world, my message is that of hope. My message is that of resurrection. And when I have a conversation with someone that is just beating themselves to death about their life, about their choices, about where they are, I have to remind them that resurrection is possible. And the way the church celebrates that is through baptism. That is the way that we enter into this relationship. And it doesn't matter to me whether you were baptized as an infant, you were baptized as a toddler, or you're baptized as an adult. We, we do rebaptize Because there are some people that say, I was baptized as an infant, I didn't make that choice. Can I be baptized again? Absolutely. 
Do you need to be? I don't think so. But we will definitely do that if you need to make that declaration because you are now identifying with this idea that I have identified with the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We want to make sure that as we are people of hope and as we are people of looking and confession and repentance, that it's focused on this idea that we are people of resurrection so that everything is rooted in there. Do you realize that everything we do in connecting time is because we are hope and resurrection people? I mean, think about our stations for a second. Those candles over there, we say every week that we don't believe in the power of wick and wax. There is nothing powerful about those candles. You can light all of them, and, and, and you're not going to get anything magically done. But because of hope and resurrection, we also believe that the power of prayer does amazing things because we are hope and resurrection people. So those candles symbolize the reason why there's no light back there is because I want the candles to be the light. When you light a candle, you are literally bringing the light of Jesus into a dark spot, and you get to see what happens. I, I, have you ever looked after service over there at just how much brighter it is in that corner? Because all those candles are lit, usually by the kids, because it's the only time they get to play with fire, and they like it. We are hope and resurrection people, so we believe in prayer. These altars right here, the, these aren't just... I don't even know where we got these. But they're not just benches. But they are just benches. But because we are hope and resurrection people, this is a place that we have set aside for you to change your posture and to be able to fall on your face before God and say, I need you. These are places, altars have been used for centuries to, for people to come forward and say, Jesus, I, I, want, to be, I want to be united in you. And I, the first step is that first I, I need to come and pray this, this prayer of repentance. And, and so we have these because we are hope and resurrection people. We believe the business done here is some of the most important business of the church. The time to be able to come and just change your posture and kneel before God and say, this is who we are and we want this to be who we are. This is our identity. It's wrapped in that. The cross over there, Part of our identity is believing that, that Jesus is not just our friend and he's not just our savior, but he's also our Lord. And so we can go to him with those cards and we can nail anything to his cross because he says, come to me those who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, I will bear your burdens. And so those things that you bring in on Sundays, those things that you hold on to because you think you have to, those very things that are the things that, 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 that you're not allowing resurrection to take place in your life, when you nail that to the cross, what you're ultimately saying is, God, this is your problem now. And he says, okay, I got it. But let me have it. Don't take it back. Because we're real good about writing things down and nailing it to the cross and then figuratively taking it home with us anyway. There's a reason we use nails and not just tape. Nails are a little more permanent. And we want you to leave that there. Here's, here's one that I think that we have a hard time relating to anything to do with resurrection at all. The reason why we honestly take time out of our service as to, to receive tithes and offerings and not just pass a plate and we have it back there and we do it during connecting time because we honestly do believe that giving is an opportunity to connect with God. That you, that you are given the opportunity to give because one of our core values is you cannot give God. And we believe that. And so we want you to be able to go back there because here's what happens. 
You can preach resurrection a lot of ways. But very few things say resurrection like buying someone groceries that's out of them. And I know we say this a lot. But the bottom line is we want to be able to help our neighbors that are in need. We can't do that by ourselves. You can't do that by yourselves. Some of you can. But here's the beauty of it. When we all get together and give what God has called us to give, that's a lot more than a check I can write. And a lot more good can come of that. And yes, that money also pays the mortgage. And it pays the electricity. But it's so much more than that. Because we honestly do get to provide for our community. Whether that be gas cards or grocery cards or whatever, it need, whatever the need is. We get to do that. That speaks resurrection to a, to a world that's not full of hope and resurrection. That's why we do it. That is the main reason. We have two new stations that we introduced last week through the season of Lent. They may, they may stay. I don't know. Um, these new stations are just simply a giant plant stand full of sand. The invitation is to come and write down a sin or a burden or almost the same things you would nail to the cross, except this one's a little more tangible because after you write it down, you just get to wipe it clean and it goes away. And you get to see this idea that the things that burden you, the things that you carried in, the things that you're, you write it down and you wipe it away because that's exactly what Jesus has done. That is hope and resurrection. The, the, I shared this with the youth group on Wednesday, and I've shared it with you a million times, but make this a million and one. There's something amazing about a group of people that did not understand the fact the earth was round. And the psalmist writes that your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. Because had it been north and south, once you head north and get to the North Pole, you're now traveling south. But if you head east, you'll never travel west which means you will never encounter that sin again as it is separated as far as east from the west. When you write down, you, look, we even have these little rakes, so if you want to play Zen Garden, um, but you can write it down and you can rake it clean and wipe it out. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you can never duplicate it. It'll never look the same again because once you move those grains of sand, it's gone. It's gone. That's why we have that. Hope and resurrection. The deepest, darkest, nastiest, dirtiest sin that you can possibly think of. Because we're united in Christ, hope and resurrection is possible. You can bring that here and you can let it go. Today we have a one-time only connected time station. I say that. It may come back someday. This is a bowl of water. If you're at the Ash Wednesday service, you'll know what this is. This is going to be an opportunity to remind you of your baptism. I'm not going to dunk you in it. I'm not going to throw it over your head. What we're going to do is I, I'm going to ask that you, and this, this, is, this is the only exclusive Connected Time station that we'll ever have because this is for the baptized because it's hard to remind you of a baptism that never took place. If you want to be baptized, April 26th, I heard there's something going on. This is if you've been baptized. You'll just come up. You'll place your hands over the bowl. I will then scoop the water and just pour the water over you to remind you of your baptism, what it is to be united in Christ. Your identity is no longer in anything else but that baptism, but that declaration. So we're going to move into this time. 
the band's going to come up. They're going to they're going to play some music while we do this. This is this is a, a very sacred time for us here. There, there have been times in life of this church where it, 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 it I think. I'm pretty sure Joe could probably correct me, but I'm pretty sure this the connecting time stations were at our very first service, and and I think we've always had them. There was a time where I was gone that I think they were done away with because there was a fear that they got too robotic. Um, and I'm just going to tell you this right now: if they're too robotic for you, then don't do them. But I'm also going to tell you that that's on you to make these altars sacred. That's on you. Because they are truly just benches, and they're broken, and they'll pinch your fingers in the wrong ways. But you have the ability to meet God here, which makes them sacred. These are literally just drip trays off Amazon with play sand in them. And I'm really glad we don't have a church cat. But if you come up and you engage God here, and you connect with God here, it is sacred. It is no longer just sand. It is something holy. That cross is literally just four by fours. It would probably burn the fire, unlike the one on the outside of our building, fireproof. When you nail a card up there, you are engaging with God and you make that sacred. Those candles are made sacred because of your prayers. But you have to do it. You can give out of obligation. We're not going to turn it away. But Scripture says that God loves a joyful giver. So as you go back and you give, you can, you can give with this spirit of hope and resurrection. This spirit of, of, of I'm going to engage in this because God gave it to me. You know what? Even if you go to the website and you click on the donate button and you give there, if you give with the same spirit, you have just met God in your own living room. I've been one of the biggest like, against this whole idea of, of tithing online. Because I think there's something powerful about having to write a check. Problem is, I don't like getting checks. Because the only time I write a check is to tithe. <laughs> so, last week was the first time that I clicked the donate button on the website. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I got to meet God that way. We do connecting time so that you can meet with God. Because we are resurrection and hope people. And as you journey through this life, I'm going to encourage you this. If you have not been baptized, why? Why not? If you are walking as Jesus' as Lord, Savior, and friend in your life, if you have made that claim, then why haven't you been baptized? What is holding you back? The water is warm now. Why haven't you? If you don't have any towels, we provide them. Why haven't you? What's holding you back from making that step? What's holding you back from that idea of identifying with this death and resurrection and unification of God's people? Why? And if you haven't, then wrestle with that. I, I'm, I'm pretty okay with you leaving here uncomfortable and, and leaving here being tormented by the Spirit of God. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, why? Peter says in his message at Pentecost, you confess with your mouth and be baptized. Why? Are you embarrassed to be wet in front of people? 
You're afraid your makeup might run? That was my holdback. We try to make it as easy as possible. We don't even make you give a testimony. When I was baptized, I had to read my testimony in front of the entire church and then get baptized. We don't do that. And you know why? I think it's good. I don't have a problem with it. But here's why we don't. Because your job as unified people in Jesus is to get to know their story after they've been baptized. Why should they just tell you? Get to know them a little bit. Figure out their journey. Why haven't you? So today as we move into connecting time, I ask that you allow yourself to wrestle with questions. If you don't want to partake in any of these stations, you don't have to. There's nothing magical. We believe that Jesus is also big enough to meet you right in your seat where you are. We believe that with everything that we have, that, he is, that he, you can stay right there and encounter God. These are just here for you in case you need to be tangible. You need to move to participate. So I invite you today, any of these stations, the new one, remember, is the only one that we will ever tell you that you have to have a prerequisite. Even, even with, when we have communion, which we don't do during Lent, if you're looking for that, we don't take communion during Lent because we want Easter to be a celebration of the body of Christ. Even in communion, we don't have a prerequisite. But we do for this one. And if you've been baptized, I, I would invite you to come and be reminded of that time that you entered in to this identifying unification of the people of Christ. So come when you're ready. We invite you to participate in any of these stations or just stand and sing or kneel and sing or just whatever posture you need to take. It's your time. Proclaiming Jesus 